1: And we're back on Inside Black and Gold. Jeff Noack, alongside Steve Geller, as always, we're getting you ready for Saints three and four, at Colts three and four. No one better to break that down with than Lawrence Owen, as promised, host of the Believe in Colts podcast, and also has a show called Colts Law on YouTube. It's a play on the name, in case you're wondering. I don't think it's a legal podcast, but I think it still works, uh, Lawrence. Now, my my first question. We we have a nickname for Gardner Minshew. At least Bobby Aber has a nickname for Gardner Minshew. He calls him Uncle Rico. And I am curious, <laughs> as you've gone about covering Gardner, do you think he can too throw the
2: ball over those mountains? No. <laughs> no, no. All right. Uh, just, just, all right. I, I mean, if you got like a love child between Anthony Richardson and Gardner Minshew, maybe, but not just straight Gardner Minshew. Yeah. <laughs>
3: um,
2: but in, in more seriousness, obviously,
1: this is a season that started one way and is now going a very different way in terms of you got Anthony Richardson. They, they went big on him. You know, he's a guy who I really liked in the draft. I wasn't sure I liked in the top 10, but I did like him. Uh, And now you are having the Gardner Minshew experience, which it seems like he's kind of the new Ryan Fitzpatrick. Everywhere he goes, he will inevitably start. He is inevitable. So, how has that gone the last few weeks? Um, And, and, you know, what, what is the Colts offense kind of looking like now with the switch from Anthony to Gardner?
2: It is an emotional roller coaster. I'm telling you what, all right? Yeah. When it comes to production, like yardage and scoring, and, and it's up here, you know, it's like, wow, you know, this, this guy, he's accurate. He makes decent decisions. He, he puts guys in positions to make plays with the football. It's amazing. And then you look and you're like, oh, no, he just gave the ball away to the other team at their own 15-yard line. Oh, yeah. You know, what, 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 what are we doing here? We, we just got two sacks, strip sacks, in the end zone, two weeks in a row, right? I mean, that's crazy. He's got yeah. eight turnovers in the past two weeks. That is not a recipe for success. Yikes. Yes, he can move the football. Yes, he can get the the ball down the field and score. But then you got that 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 low where you're like, oh, now we got to climb out of that.
3: <laughs> we understand that totally. Uh, this year, having to deal with it, we've got the you know the Derek Carr experience going on, We're, and a lot of folks making the joke. Obviously that we got sold a uh, whatever you want to say, you know, trying to that get the good. resale value of a used car, you know, trying to trade it back. But uh, with the Colts offense, man, uh, the, the running game has been obviously a huge strength of the squad. And man, I guess it's pretty safe to say Jonathan Taylor's back, huh? I maybe. think maybe he's had That's one
2: right. really good game. He had like yeah. 120 yards. And I figured against Cleveland. Three. Right. But I mean, good Lord. Yeah. You, you, you had, you had Zach Moss. Right, who missed week one due to a broken arm, then comes back, and you know, through the first five weeks, he's like third in the NFL in rushing yards, right? right. And you're like, oh, we don't need Jonathan Taylor, we, you know, <laughs> let him hold out or whatever it is that's going on. And then he's back for two weeks for practice, and bam, $14 million a year. It's like, well, Chris Ballard's seen enough, all right? Uh, so yeah, uh, right now, uh, the running game, uh, the, the, the running back. Room is very, very solid, got a great one-two punch, and we showed that uh, against the Browns, you know, number one defense in the league, and between those two backs, they both had 36 carries, 18 apiece, and they were productive against that defense.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's weird how holdouts end when the offense looks like it hasn't missed the step without you. It probably doesn't, you know, like like uh, Chris Jones with the Chiefs was sitting there for that opening game watching his team lose to, to the Lions like, hmm, what do you guys think now? Jonathan was like watching Zach Moss ball out like this isn't this isn't great for my standing. But, you know, wh- one thing that's interesting in the Saints and the Colts, You know, I think anytime you bring in a new head coach, there's going to be questions. What are the what's the decision making going to be like? How are they going to react in certain situations? How analytically inclined are they going to be? For the Saints, it's every situation to be conservative. You are, it seems, especially in terms of kicking field goals and when to punt, when to go for it. In this last game, I saw Shane Steichen make the decision to attempt a 60 yard field goal in the first half of a 14 to 14 football game. It got blocked they ended up sacrificing three points in that exchange they lost by you can remember the number how do you feel about that first of all and you know is that kind of indicative of this of his philosophy of you know no risk it no biscuit kind of thing or was that just kind of a, a one-off
2: well you see the thing about Shane Steichen that I've noticed is he kind of plays a little 50-50 with analytics and gut right and I love that about a coach you Analytics is great, but sometimes when you get into a game, you just got to know how the flow of the game is going, and you got to use your gut instincts on that. And at that point, the defense was playing very, very well. The points that they were giving up was because of turnovers and touchdowns and things of that nature, and he was just thinking, you know what, get points where you can at this point. And uh, there has been times this year where he would have went for it you know, uh, in that position Or he would have went for, you know, near the goal line, you know, on fourth down, you know, things of that nature. So I'm right now I'm at the point where I'm just going to trust. I I like where he's going with right now in his decision-making process. There is a learning curve, obviously coming from, uh, as, as Steve and I was talking about earlier, where, you know, when you have a first time head coach coming in from a coordinator, there's a learning curve from coordinator to head coach. And, it takes a couple years in order to start to get the feel of games to make those correct decisions. Is he going to be perfect every time? Absolutely not. But he's got to learn from those those times that he is not on top of this game.
3: Uh, looking at the Colts receiving core, I don't think, you know, and obviously no huge names on this roster, but some guys that uh pretty pretty reliable hands in the group. Uh just curious your your take on Pittman and Downs. Okay. So
2: I see Michael Pittman Jr. and, and he's got a nickname. Uh, apparently Shane Steichen gave him the enforcer, right? Okay. He's, he's that big physical dude that's going to go out there and out muscle you for a catch or block you down the field uh, during a, a run play or a screen play or something of that nature. He's out there to set the tone for the offense, which is amazing when you have a tone setter on the perimeter. Right. You're used to having tone setters on offensive line, maybe tied in or running back, but not out on the perimeter. And that that really helps out a ton. Uh, very sure catch. Something that I've seen Michael Pittman do uh, when it comes to to games and catches is he wins 50 50 balls just consistently. Right. You throw him the ball, even if the uh, defender has position on him, you know, right in front of him, Pittman will go up over you, reach down, grab the football, bring it in. Right, uh, really, really like what what Pittman brings to the table. Each of these receivers on this team brings a different element. As you talk about with Josh Downs, the rookie, you know, he's that that smaller, shifty kind of guy that can get out there and uh, make corners second guess themselves on where his cut is going to be. Right? What is is he cutting left? Is he cutting right? Is he going post? Is he going corner? What's he going to do? And um, I think that really helps him in being able to create space and get catches and and he again has pretty sure hands for a smaller receiver in the NFL. And that's the most important thing as a receiver. make sure you have the football. Whatever happens after the catch, that's just that's icing on the cake, right?
1: Yeah, I mean kind of just looking at the other side of the ball too, one of the things that stood out to me in that game was not only that the Colts could run the ball, it seemed like they had a whole whole host of problems stopping the run. I know Jerome Ford had a long run. Kareem Hunt. You know, it's a game. You you see the Browns and you're like, "Oh, they ran it for a ton of yards." And you're like, "Yeah, of course they did. They have Nick Chubb." well they don't have Nick Chubb. This is Kareem Hunt and Jerome Ford. I think it's Jerome Ford. Is it Jacoby Ford? I think it's Jerome Ford. There was a Jacoby Ford, but I think it's Jerome Ford now. Anyway, you know So you look at this defense and you're like, oh, well, Zaire Franklin has a whole mess of tackles. I think it's 88, leads the NFL. And this is a defense that typically you look at. It's like, oh, look, Shaq Leonard, he's going to have 140 tackles. Well, he's still there. But you're racking up all. And and is that more of a product of the plays aren't necessarily being stopped at the line of scrimmage? Because it kind of feels like that's an area that the Colts are susceptible this year is just runs between the tackles.
2: Legitimately, um, I'm going to say the Colts actually are pretty decent. Play by play, stopping the run, right? Okay. They they give up one or two big plays a game. That's the problem, right? Uh, that game that you just talked about with that big sixty-seven yard run, you take that away, the Colts give up an average of like three yards a carry, right? Uh, it, it's not something that's 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 huge, but those big plays matter. Those big plays are tone setters for the game, right? It, it gives your your offense and your defense. Uh, something to kind of build on emotionally, and 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 be able to uh, go out there and play even better uh, when the defense has to go out on the field, or vice versa. So that's that's a situation. I think the defensive line is good, and they have been good. The biggest problem is Grover Stewart the combination between DeForest Buckner and Grover Stewart is no longer there with Grover Stewart being suspended for six games, and it just started this past week. And with him not being there, that puts a lot of added pressure on your backups, uh, guys that aren't normally your starters, and they're out there for a lot more snaps than they're used to. So, you know, you're going to end up having to, you know, the other guys around him are going to have to step up and play even better. And at times there's going to be mistakes. There's going to be, you know, missed assignments or a missed tackle here or there. Uh, But for the most part, I like what our defensive line and our linebackers bring, you know, to the team itself.
3: He mentioned, uh, obviously, Zaire uh, Franklin. How, how, How has it been watching his progression from a seventh round draft pick? And this dude's just like a tackling monster.
2: Oh my goodness. It's, it's nuts. This dude brings his special. Okay. So you have to have a different mindset to play special teams straight up. You you can't worry about your personal health. Right. (laughs) Uh, I think Naheem Hines said it a few years back, you know, as a punt returner, you just have to go out there and be like, I don't care if I live or die, you know? (laughs) And that's, that's basically the mindset that special teamers have to have because of the high impact uh, plays that they have on, uh, every time they go out there on the field and he's brought that same mindset to an every down linebacker on defense he goes out there and he plays 100 percent full throttle no matter what and that's just exciting And I think that lifts the team uh, in general you know on defense you, you you see a guy go out there and just lay some serious wood on somebody you know, that's going to make you want to go out there and do the exact, oh, I can't let him outshine me, right? I mean, that's, that's how that works. So, yeah, it, it's been a, a spark, especially since uh, I think uh, Jeff over here earlier talked about uh, Shaquille Leonard. You know, he's not been playing his best football right. as of late. So uh, to have that kind of tone setter uh, at the linebacker position when the guy that normally is the tone setter is not there and not playing to his best is – a, a real gift.
1: Yeah. Speaking of tone setters, one, one thing, you know, and I haven't got a chance to watch all the Colts games, but I did go back and watch the Browns Colts game. And it was a long one. I mean, there was a lot going on, but it does feel like Zach Moss is on the offense, kind of that tone setter of, he just, just runs hard. I mean, he doesn't go down uh, that first hit. He's always falling forward. So I am curious, you know, what, what have been your thought? What has made him so successful this year? Cause he kind of feels like, I think he was on the bills and he was just kind of a cast off of, of, you know, never really got the opportunity. I think he was in that timeshare with Devin Singletary for a while. But he's dealing with an injury. Um, I want to say, let's see, elbow slash heel. What is your read on that? Does that seem like something that that might keep him out this week? Obviously, he was a DMP on Wednesday. Um, and just what has he been to this offense in general?
2: Now, from the DNP standpoint of did not practice, it could just be, you know, give him a little bit of time right? uh, it's, it's your day off. You obviously uh, get the feeling better. You, we see this a lot in the NFL nowadays with veterans, right? Where you might get right. a ding or a bruise or something of that nature, and they're like, you know what? Just take a day off, maybe even two days off, you know, and then come back and have your full practice on Friday, right? So I'm hoping that's kind of what's going on with Zach Moss, but you're absolutely right. He is a tone setter on offense. He He's very... The thing that sets him apart is he's not a guy who just attacks a hole. You know, as soon as he gets the ball, he goes, he tries to get the yard. He waits. He knows he's got a good offensive line in front of him, and he waits for that offensive line to finish their blocks and set them because sometimes the hole's not where it's supposed to be on the offensive line, you know, because the defense has shifted or whatnot. So he's very patient. He waits for a hole to open, then he hits it. And the way he hits the hole – it's very powerful but when he feels the contact coming on you watch him and he gets slim he you know he'll he'll turn his body or adjust in a specific way to where it's a glancing blow rather than a full on blow and he's able to fall forward or break that tackle in that instance and i think that's been a huge benefit to him honestly i think the bills gave up on him I, I don't I don't understand why the bills let him go. I understand that the bills are a pass first team not a run first team they don't run the football with the running backs a whole lot and I think that was a detriment to uh, a running back of Moss's style who likes to be physical between the tackles a guy who literally would get better as the game goes on rather than you know uh having someone that's just explosive and you you can use him early in the game and hope for, for big plays.
1: Yeah, for, for perspective, if for people listening, he was traded with a pick. The Bills traded Zach Moss and a draft pick. It was a sixth-round pick for Naheem Hines. Naheem Hines. So, like... They, they were just trying to cut bait basically and saying, okay, we want our pass catching return specialist guy. Like they gave up on him. And now he's a guy who's, if not for Jonathan Taylor returning, might've allowed the league in rushing this year. So, I mean, it just goes to show you like, you know, one person's trash and another person's treasure. Like if you're in the right situation and like you mentioned that offensive line, a lot of people, like you look at Dak Prescott, the beginning of his career. I don't think Dak Prescott is the quarterback he is today. If he didn't come into the league with, such an, an entrenched, very, very good offensive line. And, and over time, as you have to pay people, it usually declines slightly. Um, but yeah, what what is your kind of, is that offensive line like legit? I mean, obviously Quentin Nelson, everyone knows that name, but uh, across the line, what what has been your read on it this year?
2: When healthy, it's one of the best offensive lines in football, right? right? Your starters all across this board, Bernard Ryman, the second year left tackle has made huge monstrous steps, right? Along with the second year, that uh, like? Right guard in Will Fries, you know, he's made big steps this past offseason. And the other three guys are all, all pros, right? I mean, they're all good players. Quentin Nelson, Ryan Kelly, and Braden Smith out there at right tackle. Those guys, when you have three really, really good veterans and you're able to plug in some young guys that you don't have to pay right now. (laughs) Even though you are technically paying high money on that offensive, I think they're paying fifth most in the NFL right now for their offensive line. When that offensive line is healthy and they're all on the field, they are a menace to defensive front sevens.
1: You don't mind paying – The fifth most if you have a top five offensive line, right?
2: Right, right. Because, I mean, the offensive line, they set the tone for the entire game and run in the run game and the pass game, right? So, I mean, why wouldn't a team be willing to drop money as long as uh, they produce at the same level? Why wouldn't a team be willing to, to drop that kind of money on an offensive line?
3: Uh, Looking at this matchup, you know, coming in, uh, Saints also lost two in a row, Uh, so you know it's going to be two desperate teams, as I always talk about, fighting for a victory, uh, trying to keep up pace in the division. I think it's kind of amusing, you know, everyone, at least we, obviously, focused on the NFC South and talked about how wide open it was going into the season, and looking at things now in the AFC South, man, obviously Jacksonville's building, built up a, a little lead there, but Uh, You look at a Houston Texans team that's definitely fighting under their first-year head coach. It looks like this Colts squad definitely rallying around their first-year guy. And Tennessee, yeah, maybe selling uh, sellers at the moment look to be dropping off. But, man, Jags, Texans, and Colts, uh, should we expect a pretty tight race through the rest of the season between them?
2: It's going to be a hill to climb for the Colts to get over the Jaguars because the Jaguars have already swept the Colts this season. Uh, oh, right. They uh, were the first rematch <laughs> of the year for the NFL. And, you know, the Colts basically said, here, here's the football in their second match and said, here, you can just you can have this game, you know, by turning the football over so many times. So uh, when you get swept by your division opponent, it is a Never it did. is a tall task to try to climb over that. But it's not undoable. It's it's not unheard right. of. Right. It, it it can happen. They haven't fell behind in the overall win-loss column so far that they can't win a bunch of games in a row and possibly just, you know, the heck with the the sweep and, 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 the, and the tiebreaker. You know, we just have a better record than you. We'll see what happens, though. Uh, right now, the Colts have beaten the Texans handily in their first meeting, and ever since then, the Texans, as you said, has looked really, yeah. really good ever yeah. since the Colts beat them. So I'm just like, oh, crap you know oh. now Now we got three three teams in this in this division and as you said the the titans look like they're just like okay uh white flag we give up we're gonna play for next year
1: <laughs> get ready for the will levis experience um but you know speaking of speaking of rookies i i am curious obviously this doesn't really have anything to do with this week but it does have to do with the afc south for the long term and anthony richardson you know was a guy that just flew up draft boards I, I would say a lot on just hype and, and hope that he could turn into the player that everyone kind of expects him to be, but haven't quite seen yet. So I'm, I am curious over, I know you only saw four or so games, but what is kind of the early evaluation on Anthony Richardson? He's got obviously the shoulder surgery. won't He'll be back next year. Same injury that Derek Carr had actually, and it was just a more significant version. And that's what You have to have surgery if you have a significant AC sprain to correct that ligament damage. But again, what what is kind of the early evaluation on Anthony? Does he seem like the franchise quarterback, or is there still the jury
2: kind of still out there? So I'm going to take us back to when the Colts drafted him, and there was two points that I had. I was like, "This guy is a project guy, Mm -hmm. unless he can show me two things in training camp, right?" And I got the training camp sitting there on the sidelines of training camp, watching, came up, talked to him, talked to some of the coaches. And the two things that I was worried about was there. And I was like, oh my, this dude just needs experience. Right. And those two things was his pocket awareness to be able to know when he was going to get pressure and how he reacted to that pressure. And he does a, maybe the, one of the best, pocket awareness guys coming out of college I've ever seen. Uh, It's just absolutely amazing uh, how he can feel the pressure and move, not just, you know, when you think about a, a mobile quarterback, you think, oh, well, he's going to just take off out of the pocket and run down the field. No, he has that move around in the pocket like your traditional pocket passers like your Tom Brady's and 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 Drew Brees's and and Peyton Manning's just move around in the pocket a little bit to adjust to give himself a little bit of time he's got that in his pocket plus he's got that mobility to where if the pocket completely breaks down he can just escape and extend the play so he can look downfield to throw the other thing i was worried about was his pre-snap rec- defense recognition yeah right you got to have both pocket awareness and pre-snap defense recognition, be able to recognize what the defense is doing before the snap. You can see where the pressure might be coming from, uh, how they're uh, set up to defend a pass or a run or whatnot, so you can check out or whatever you need to do. And his recognition looked pretty good. Now, his accuracy, that was a problem, right? That, that was It was like... One minute he can make an amazing, how in the world did he make that pass? And the next minute is like, how in the world did he miss that pass? <laughs> right? <laughs> so that was an issue, but that was the biggest issue that that, that we had with him. Everything else looked great. I, I, I do feel like with experience and a little bit more work on his passing, um, decision-making and accuracy wise, I think he could absolutely be a top five quarterback in the NFL. We just, I think he needs more time and more experience. And sadly, that injury, that's that's derailed that for the time being.
3: We go t- uh, into these matchups too. We like to ask our guests um, if there was maybe an X factor that, you know, m- folks, fans don't really know about, at least Saints fans don't know the name at least that much uh, considering some of the bigger guys on the Colts, who could be maybe one of those unknowns on offense or defense that could be a a big factor in this matchup on on Sunday?
2: Any single one of the tight ends that the Colts have on their roster. All of them. And they are. They are all very good tight ends and underused. I'm just asking you to name them. (laughs) Okay. Getting ready to. All right. First, we have Moali Cox, who's the veteran okay. in the tight end room. Yeah. Right. Uh, that, a guy who's, who's, you know, six, seven, you know, long arms. Then we have Kylan Granson, third year tight end. He's right now uh, coming off, I believe, a concussion. I don't know if he's going to make it in this game or not, but he is that speed tight that, end, that receiving style tight end. Uh, and then we have Drew Ogletree, who is another very similar to a Moali Cox who's in his second year, last year was out the entire year uh, due to an uh, injury in training camp, had the injury right after I interviewed him, too. Oh, sad. So uh, <laughs> I yeah. got blamed for that. you believe <laughs> that? Uh, <laughs> and, and then we got our rookie, Will Mallory, who was another receiving type, style yeah. tight end. They're all Maryland, very – Miami, right? Yeah. Very effective guys. Who um can be matchup nightmares for an opposing team's defense, whether you know you put a tight end or a safety over them. It's very difficult to match up against these guys.
1: Gotcha. We've been chatting with Lawrence Owen, host of the Believe in Colts podcast. He also has a show on YouTube called Colts Law. We're getting ready for Saints, Colts. Saints fans will be hoping that. The Gardner Minshew show ends right in time as it has the last two times they've faced them. But thanks so much, Lawrence. Appreciate everything. Very insightful.
2: Hey, thanks for, thanks for having me on. Uh, feel free. Reach out anytime.
1: Sounds good, man. Awesome stuff. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks to Lawrence Owen for breaking that down. One thing he did mention before he left that we forgot to ask about. This is a Colts team that has been very susceptible to big plays. Their defensive back group. Is not what you might consider to be dominating, to say the least. So, you know I, what I told him is no one wants to hear me talk about how Derek Carr can take advantage of a defense, and so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tell you about how Derek Carr can take advantage of a defense because until he does it, I'll just have to believe that it's impossible. Anyway,
3: actually, a little side story here in my little in my my big uh, fantasy football big money league, Brock Purdy, I, I have him hurt. I had to make a drastic option. So, guess who's on the Gardner. waiver wire? We I'm Derek. rolling with Derek Carr this week, baby. I mean, statistically speaking, right, it's I'm not the it's worst terrible. play in the
1: world, right? Right. It's kind of like last year, Andy Dalton, I started him on that Thursday night matchup against the Cardinals. He threw two pick sixes, but he ended up having a pretty huge game. Like, you can have big games and still not play well. Like, that's the but thing.
3: Did Juan have two touchdowns that game?
1: Uh, I think so i think he did yeah i'm not par- yeah, i think I he had three touchdowns across like he had a, a late one against the ravens that was kind of like a bs uh like doesn't matter touchdown and yeah i yeah. think he had, he had two touchdowns against the cardinals i thought so right um, so yeah who we should get Juwan back so yeah i mean from a from a from the perspective of yeah 300 yard passing is going to be a decent fantasy day right i think the, Ho- hopefully a interception-
3: couple touchdowns in there
1: <laughs> Especially going against the Colts, right? Like, like, like Lawrence said, it's just like there are big plays to be had. So I, I don't think it's a terrible play. I mean, in our two QB league, I'm starting like Zach Wilson, and I, you know, you know, it's funny. So the, this kind of, t- so Deshaun Watson didn't play in that game. We right, he played right. for right. the first quarter plus and threw five passes and then left. It was PJ Walker for a majority of that game. So I, you, you, you saw what Lamar Jackson did to the to the Lions, right? So my oh, yeah. I, are, I have my two quarterbacks are Deshaun Watson and Lamar Jackson. So I had like the extremes of the quarterback experience. One got me like 35. One got me negative (laughs) one. So they combined to be one average quarterback and I lost by like three points. Uh... If I had had Derek Carr, I would have (laughs) won. So there you go. Thanks, Deshaun. Anyway, this is not what we're here to talk about. This is Inside Black and Gold. We will be back. I want to talk about, you know, what exactly happened in that game against the Jaguars and what, what I'm concerned about as you go to face the Colts, because there are some similarities in how they're, I think they're going to try to attack you. So let's break that down. And then we're going to go for, and then we're going to dive into X factors as we do every week. Who can swing the result on offense, who can swing the result on defense and why we're going to be wrong about whatever we say. (laughs) So anyway, keep it locked on inside black and gold.